From the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. This is The Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and my guest today is Brenda Enders, the author of The Manager's Guide to Mobile Learning. It's a book which offers a business-based approach to mobile. It's for managers who are grappling with the pain points of how to solve problems with mobile and how to reach their organization's mobile goals through teams. Brenda, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. Welcome to The Learning Circle. Well, thanks, Anthony. And again, thanks for asking me. I'm really excited to share this information with the, the group today. Brenda, we're in an industry that's become semi-obsessed with mobile. I think that's fair to say, right? Yes. We, we've got these devices, and mobile as a concept is something we've been defining and redefining along the way as technology changes. These days, what would you say is a good workable definition for mobile? Absolutely. And that's, that's a great question to start with. You know, first of all, I think normally people think of mobile learning as a course. And the definition I like to, to use is that it's not necessarily a course. It's all about an activity. And it's an activity that ultimately is going to increase the productivity of the learner, the person participating in it, when they're doing three things, when they're consuming, interacting with, and even creating their own content. That's a good distinction, this idea of, of an activity. It's not about the device. It's about an activity. And I've just come out of your workshop on mobile. You use the term mobile learners. That seemed to be a particular point of emphasis for you. Could you sort of define that idea of a mobile learner? Absolutely. So I think oftentimes people think mobile learning, and the first thought that pops in their mind is, oh my gosh, what device do I need to use? And it's all about the technology. How am I going to pull this off? How am I going to develop it? And ultimately, while those are key points, the first thing that should come to mind is the fact that your learner or the person participating in the activity is on the go. They're not necessarily sitting in their desk static. They might be out in the workforce. They might be traveling to work or home on a subway. They may be driving or it may actually be within the workflow. So it's the point that the, the person happens to be using technology, but it's when they're on the move, they're on the go. So we need to keep things short, sweet, and concise. That's a good distinction. Again, it gets us beyond the devices, and it really helps us design for the needs of people, I think, right? Absolutely. And that's really what it's all about, is making our people, which is our, our greatest asset, more productive. Make them successful on the job. Use the technology for what the technology is great at, which is remembering things. And it's, it's what people aren't great at. And with the complexity of our jobs today and having to know so much information and the rapid state of change, I believe it's critical we provide our workforce and our learners in academia with these mobile tools as part of the, the toolkit. Clearly, mobile is here to stay. It's a part of learning. It's something our industry is wrapping its collective mind around. We're figuring out the fit. Where do you see the sweet spots for mobile? Uh, where, where do you see that fit? Absolutely. So first of all, and I, I kind of stressed this before, I do not see the fit as creating a complete course and deploying it on a, a smartphone. And even when it's deployed on a tablet, I like to refer to that as mobile e-learning. 
not mobile learning, where we're taking existing content and we are uh, basically miniaturizing it to fit a different form factor. That's not the uh, true power of mobile. So to get into real mobile is the sweet spot. First of all, performance support. Again, I kind of led onto this before. The technology is great at remembering information. When I'm on the job, I might need to know five quick steps. Pull them up for me. Let me check them off. Over time, sure, that will become part of my long-term memory. Or maybe it's a task I don't do very often, and it fills the gap. So performance support has always been the sweet spot. But as kind of technology has morphed and we start to take a look at other learning theories, there's some other great ways to apply mobile learning. So another way is to elongate your learning cycle. So again, In the learning and development industry, we're always in this course mentality, and I think it's about time we have a new mindset. So it's not about a moment in time. It's about an evolutionary cycle, and it's going to keep kind of morphing and spinning as we're moving forward. So mobile learning can fit from the point of how do you support the other initiatives. So maybe you have a face-to-face class, or maybe you have an e-learning course, but what happens after the event? We all know in those events, the retention just plummets 50% as soon as you're done. And the longer you go without applying it, it continues to drop. So one great way is to provide ready refreshers, small snippets of content over a period of time to help with retention. It's also a great way of adding contextual information, adding additional depth. So maybe within an ebook, we have uh, 3D models that you can dive into. Uh, we have some interactivity inside of it. There's so many possibilities. I think in your comments, you touched on the idea of spaced learning. Absolutely. Can you sort of flesh out a definition for that? Yeah. So, you know, really spaced learning, I think we all know, and, you know, kind of the old phrase used to be, you know, I'm learning like I'm drinking from a fire hydrant, which Mm. means I'm not taking a lot in. There's a lot of waste there. And as educators, we all know that that is the worst way to learn. However, it's the way we've been doing it for hundreds of years. So really the spaced learning concept is instead of taking a full course, we are breaking it down into small miniaturized units that we then send out over a period of time. Ultimately, this then increases retention. The forgetting curve shows us that if we have four different touch points on critical content over a 60-day time frame, that will lead to long-term retention. Each touch point increases our retention, but we've on average, need to have about four in a 60-day time frame. I can't develop all of my content in this way, but it's the mission-critical content. So it's spacing it over a period of time. And ultimately, you know, the concept is based upon a learning theory called the spacing effect. Excellent. You mentioned drinking from a fire hydrant. I think about how when I've taken tests, there's been so many times I've had to cram my short-term memory long enough to regurgitate it and and get through it. But this is really the answer to that, right? This is a way to you know know that in the real world, where hopefully I'm practicing this content for real, that it's going to stick and be reinforced. How well is this catching on? Is our our organizations beginning to take this concept and and have some kind of assessment that lives like weeks beyond the the formal event of a of a course? Absolutely, They're, it's starting to gain some momentum. Um, The first thing is that people tend to think of mobile learning as an app. And, you know, thanks to Apple, there's an app for everything. So naturally, we think of that. But this doesn't have to be app-based. So we could send it out via SMS 
or even email, a communication channel that our learners or users are very comfortable mm, with yes. for it. It's also uh, low tech. So low development costs. We need to, to do some information mapping to come up with the questions. And what's beautiful about it is that if they answer correctly, we can give them some advanced knowledge potentially. Or if they answered incorrectly, we give them the, the material they need to fill that particular gap. It also allows us to do some analysis on it. So if there was, let's say, a level two face-to-face course or a workshop or a webinar, we can take a look at our learners and where they're at and then be able to create a custom experience to help fill those gaps. So again, it, it, it's starting to take traction and there are some vendors out in the, the force that have some really nice products for an SMS push engine or an email push engine. But again, it was a slow start. Um, and part of the reason I think is, you know, this misconception, mobile learning has to be an app. And right. in this case, it's not. And in a lot of cases, it doesn't need to be and shouldn't be. <laughs> That's very powerful. I think this idea is that you're reaching people where they live anyway, that they're in comfortable contexts like email and text that they use every day. And that's a bit different than having to sort of artificially go to, you know, go to the mountain, you know, of your course or go back to some materials in a, a format that you're not used to. So to have contact with that material in your everyday I think that would make the information stick. Absolutely. You know, and it's short bits. So um, there's a particular retail company that at the beginning of each shift, their employees take five minutes of content and it preps them for their days. And it's split down every day they come to work, just five minutes at the beginning of the shift, answer a couple questions, absorb a little bit of content, and then they go on and do their work. And that also kind of um, helps with organizations that have the hourly uh, limit to the amount of training that they can actually deploy out to mm. their, their teams or also in union environments. So something to think about there. That's very interesting. Yeah. It makes, and it makes learning a part of their lifestyle. Absolutely. And I think that's a key point, Anthony, is that in mobile learning, it's not about us. It's about that mobile learner and it's about providing them content and information in a way that they use the device. So we really have, a, have to have a good understanding of how people use their devices, what are their digital habits, and then craft solutions that fit that lifestyle. Yes, and we're, that reminds me of the phrase, bring your own device. I, I would think there's an advantage to someone you know, using the technology they're already comfortable with. Absolutely. Um, to have somebody, if, for example, I'm an iPhone person, and I struggle with Android devices, if I was to be put in a situation that I had to learn on an Android device, just the frustration would be a, a downturn for me, and I wouldn't be excited about it, and I probably wouldn't want to use it a lot. Every time that I, I go to learn or apply, that frustration is going to become a barrier. And why have multiple devices? We only need to have one. Um, sure, there's a few complexities on the IT side, but in today's world, and more importantly in the future world, we need to adapt to it. That makes a lot of sense. So, Brenda, what are the special affordances of mobile technology? Sure, absolutely. Mobile provides us an opportunity that other technology doesn't, such as, and the most common one that everyone thinks about, anytime, anywhere. And that's a driver for a lot of organizations. Hey, wherever they're at, they can be learning. They don't have to be on the job. They could be on the treadmill. And that's great. However, there's some better affordances, I think. So, for example, we have access to a tremendous amount of data, and that data can only make our learning solutions stronger. We have to be able to extract it, 
pull it. And XAPI may very well be the, the answer there, but that is one key affordance of it is all the data capture components. We have the ability of using uh, the unique attributes of the device. So, for example, uh, if I was walking into a particular location based upon my GPS, content could appear to me and say, do you realize that you're in a high-risk security area, safety? And they could say yes or no. Would you like to have a, some short content on what to look out for? And they say, yes, sure, it'll bring up that content for them, but it's based upon where they're at at that particular moment. It could also be something such as simple as the camera that we use all the time. So um, whether it's the ability of pointing your camera at something and having it look at something just like you would and interpret that and provide information, so augmented reality, it could be the fact that learners have the ability now to create their own content. So we could have someone record a short video on their own phone and best practices of how I close sales in a challenging situation and share it with others in the organization. Um, so those are a few of kind of the key affordances. Augmented reality is a phrase we've been hearing quite a bit about. I first heard about it several years back, and it seemed like a, at the time still a little far off. I know there were some companies doing things like um, you know, having the ability to look at a car engine and seeing an overlay of how to you know, take things apart and put them back together. But where has that gone? Is it becoming more commonplace or is it just, is it a niche technology? How is that? Uh... I think it's becoming a lot more commonplace. Um, first of all, there's development tools out there that anyone could use. So a non-techie person could use, such as Erasma. It's a free tool. If you want to package it into an app of some sort, there's a, a structure that they will charge you for that. But if you just want to have uh, an open, shareable experience, you can do it for free, which is fabulous, and it's super easy to do. Um, we see it in magazines. You hold your, your phone over a picture, and uh, you're going to see a little uh, ad that pops up. Maybe you're reading a history book, and you uh, hold your phone over a picture, and it brings it, the, the story to life in 3D, and it pops, and you can suddenly see maybe a, a key component of, the, of a battle play out on the field. There are so many incredible possibilities for it, and... You know, we, we tend to think of it, you know, with the glass, like in the example that you had given. But the fact with our phone, we can, can use it anywhere, and it's so incredibly easy to do. That example of a textbook, just the power of being able to, instead of looking at a flat picture, you could see an object in rotation. Let's say it's an anatomy book and you're looking at a skull to, you know, Absolutely. to be able to see that from every angle is very powerful. Absolutely. You know, and imagine walking down the street. And you just hold your phone up, and based upon where you're walking, content pops forward on you. So, you know, maybe it's content about a Starbucks that's coming forward. Um, maybe it's you're looking at Big Ben as telling you the history of Big Ben for it. But it could be anything. It doesn't have to be picture-based. It could totally be GPS-based. And one of my favorite examples is um, astronomy. As a kid, I always wanted to, to know what I was looking at in the stars, took a college course, figured out it's not about the stars, it's more about math, and I said, oh, forget it, that's not my thing. But Starwalk came out a few years ago, and that is an app that allows me to hold my iPad up to the sky, and it will show me the constellations that are there. It'll actually show me where the Hubble satellite is at. I can click on that satellite, zoom in, and get additional information on it. So Starwalk has filled my learning gap for astronomy and fascination with the night sky and the objects that are there. 
Me too. I've had it where I, I look up and I, I see these constellations and uh, I, I don't know about you, but the, you know, the Zodiac uh, pictures, they never look like the star constellation. Exactly. So to have an app to help you with that is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Now you specialize in helping organizations create a strategic approach to their mobile programs and how it supports and actually blends with all of their delivery methods. Can you tell us what that looks like? Can you walk us through that process? Sure, absolutely. So I like to take a three-step approach. The first step I like to refer to as strategic visioning. This is the point that we do a little bit of analysis, we dream, and we justify. So there's four main components in in the way I approach it. The first is your current state, having a solid understanding of where you're at today, what problems you're trying to solve for, what are the gaps, and, you know, for example, what's it going to cost if you do absolutely nothing? A lot of times folks think that they couldn't justify the cost of mobile learning. And in a lot of cases, you can justify it simply by reducing the time off task. Um, so again, getting somebody in, getting them out, or reducing your paper costs could be very basic things, but understanding what the problem will cost you if you do absolutely nothing is a great start. Once you have a solid understanding of where you're at today, then it's the point of saying, how do I solve this in the future? What will it look like tomorrow? How will our employees learn differently, and how will they perform differently on the job? And dream big at this point, because you can always scale back. Next stage is what I like to refer to as the mobile rationale. And it's really all about, are you sure mobile's the right approach? Have you thought this through? Why is it the best? How is it going to support your existing curriculum you have in place today? Suitability, really, Absolutely. Right? And maybe maybe sometimes mobile is not the answer for something. Absolutely. Right? And, you've, and that's a win, right? If you, Absolutely. If you're not going you to waste know. energy on the, the wrong technology. Absolutely. And costs. Yes. And that. So um, you want to make sure it's the right fit. And you also want to understand how you're going to define and measure success. And a lot of times think, folks think of success as something needs to change. It needs to get better. And in a lot of cases, that may be the case. But sometimes success is keeping things um, status quo because you don't want a reduction in performance. Uh, So if you're making a major shift in an enterprise software program, normally there's a reduction in um, productivity using that. Your measurement of success is status quo. We don't want to see any reduction. So really, and then how you're going to work with folks, um, where you're going to pull that data from, all of those types of things, and really document it. To me, this document will serve a couple purposes. It's going to help you develop your business plan, It's going to help you get buy-in from stakeholders. When you get to the point of pulling in a development team, whether it's your own team or a vendor, I always share that with them. It shows them everything that we've done up to this point, and it gets everybody on the same page. Why are we doing it? It's nothing more frustrating as a development team to say, I have no idea why, you know, somebody's going mobile. I guess their kid's always on the phone, and now we have to to go to this technology. Mm. And you're getting buy-in to everyone. And then you're creating champions. Yes, you have champions to back that initiative. Yes. You betcha. So that's really kind of the first step. And there's, there's a lot more questions I go into, but, you know, that's top of the mountain. So the next step, once we have that, um, if you're going to an organizational uh, strategy, you're going to be looking for a roadmap. So three to five year glimpse at what are all the tasks that need to take place high level for people, process, and technology. And the way I tend to approach this is a three-year glimpse at, at mobile. Technology is changing so quickly. If, if you invest in four to five years, it's probably not going to be valid. But if you're looking at your four to five years, it's really more about sustainability and maturation. 
at that point. The next step in place is going to be your piloting program. So you want to test it, get it out there, and make sure it works. Can you expand on sustainment and maturity? Sure, absolutely. So within your programs, we need to get to a point that your content and your approach is stable. Once we have it stable, we're going to have some changes to your content. We're going to have some added functionality. There's going to be some changes in the technology. So there's always going to be some sort of ongoing investment in the program. And we need to be strategic about how are we going to do that in the best way. If you have content that is changing all of the time and is fluid, a native app is not going to be the right solution for you. You want to get the content out quickly. So if you're going down an app world, you know, for that point, we might want to take a look at the mobile web apps or a hybrid app, which gives you that functionality of being able to, to update that content. Now, this all leads up to a product pilot. A lot of us are familiar with pilots as part of our e-learning processes, right? We create a distance learning course or a module of some kind, and we pilot it with users. But what does the pilot mean in this mobile development context? How does it differ? Sure. And what is that process like? So if you go back 10 years in e-learning, I don't know that the process looks that different. The, the challenge is, is in e-learning, most organizations have created um, a templatized or a framework approach to it. So there's not a lot of things that are at risk when you go live. You need to ensure that the content is resonating with the folks and you have the right content. But the technology, for the most part, is pretty darn stable. So your pilots tend to be, you know, let's launch it, let's keep an eye over it um, and see what's going on. Versus in the mobile world, I think we need to take a step back to like when e-learning was brand new. And you're taking a strategic approach. So you take a very short amount of your content, limit your number of interactions, push those out to the audience members. Your audience members, I recommend that it's, it's a diverse group of individuals. I want my newbies. I want my experienced folks in the field. I want people that are great with technology, and I want people that um, aren't necessarily lovers of that technology point so that when we get the feedback back from them, we're sure we're covering all of our paces. Mobile is still fairly new, and we're always learning something new. So to take the time to run the pilot, choose some low-hanging fruit, some quick wins, and test it, wait. Don't be moving forward with your content. Everybody always wants to do that. Just wait for it to, to finish the pilot. Determine an amount of time, and then do your analysis. Then you can make your changes and then start to really get into this rapid development point of pushing content out in an iterative process. So is the pilot a, a piece of your mobile solution, or is it like that minimum viable product where you build the whole thing? And maybe you can explain the difference. Sure. So um, in the pilot itself, it really is a limited view of your actual fully functional product. So all the functionality is working. But let's say I have 15 test questions inside of it and answers and remediation that's coming forward. I don't want to take the time and develop my content for all 15 of those questions. Let's do one of each example of the questions and ensure that those are working in a way and we're saving the data and it's pulling. Because if we made a mistake, I have to recode and redevelop all the other work that's in place. So it is fully functional. Now, sometimes you will have an actual prototype 
and the prototype will be a step before, and that's sometimes a smoke and mirrors. You're, you're just kind of sketching things out. It's not really fully functional. People aren't using it, but it really kind of sketches the point of where are we going? Are we on the right path? Um, do these things work? Does that make sense? It does, it, but sometimes these terms have to be defined. And I was going to ask you, how does a prototype differ from a pilot? But you've just explained that because in certain contexts, a prototype can sound similar to the way you've defined a pilot. Absolutely. And, and some organizations will use those terms interchangeably. Yes. And that is, it's a challenge in our industry. Um, there is another step in the development process I just want to throw out there, especially if you're going down an app world or any sort of gaming type uh, experience. You want to do a wireframe. You want to get the actual user interface nailed down before you do coding. So there's some great apps out there that you can do wireframing on. Or, you know, quite honestly, I've sat down in a, you know, dinner meeting and we're constantly adding the, asking the waiter and waitress for more napkins because we're sketching it out. And, you know, of course, I wish I would have brought my, my iPad at that time to to sketch (laughs) it out there. But, um, it could be anything that can be rough, but it's really just showing this is the natural flow. You want to ensure that you're not going deeper than three clicks. You want to ensure that it's easy to use, that the icons visually talk to us. Yeah, that's very helpful. And it lets a customer pre-visualize things with minimum investment. Yes. And now we've got some amazing apps where you can take some back-of-the-napkin sketches and take photos and then even, you know, operationalize them in like a little mini prototype, right? Absolutely. You betcha. So, um, yeah, that's very, very helpful. Now, we've talked about the process, but mobile is in support of content, ultimately, Can you distinguish between the mobile strategy and the content strategy? How do they differ and how do you plan for each? Sure. So um, part of it is the fact that organizations tend to look at it, honestly, in one of two ways, Um, top down or from the trenches. So top down would be your organizational strategy. And that's as an organization, we are saying that we want to achieve these five strategic objectives through the use of mobile. That could be things such as bringing um, learning closer to the point of performance. It could be providing it as a performance support tool. It could be increasing the usage of tools within the organization, a lot of things that could be. But there are strategic objectives that, as an organization, we will move forward in the next three to five years to bring to life. Once you bring it to life, it's in the pilots. And that's when you start to get into the content strategy. So you, at that point, you have a specific business problem, typically coming from a business unit. So what's the right approach for that one particular problem or set of content nuggets to get it out there to the folks? Very helpful. Now, once your organization has gone mobile, what does it look like in terms of your ongoing development and sustainment methodology to, to keep that mobile program going? Sure. So um, I really recommend folks move into an agile approach. So think about it with your apps on your phone. Um, we are constantly getting these updates And the reason for that is that as we need to to push out additional content, as we need to roll, we want to get to market quick. We don't have to do everything. Just get quick. We know it works. Get usage, get feedback, and then go through that cycle again. We will be pushing the content out quickly in small chunks versus, you know, a lot of times we're in this mentality of a course. course might have 12 modules, and we wait till all 12 modules are completely done before we launch it. And 
there's that waiting period. Well, in mobile, why wait? We don't have to. If we're nimble and really approach it more like the IT group would on how they develop software, it really allows us to adjust quickly and fill the gaps of our employees. So to be more specific, uh, when we see these incremental, I don't know if you'd call it incremental, but but these upgrade releases, mm-hmm. these updates to our mobile apps, that would be a team, an agile team, really, that's gone through a, another iteration, iteration of the product, and they're adding more features and fixes from their, their backlog of Absolutely. Of uh, their list of, of things to, to add to the product, right? Absolutely. And as technology changes, we need to, to change for that as well. So it might be new enhancements, or as new technology rolls out, maybe something in the way we coded it before doesn't quite work 100% in a particular operating system. So do we still support that operating system, or do we need to make some adjustments so it works in that? These small iterations, you know, we're looking two to four weeks, not long periods of time. And that, which is why constantly, you know, again, in, in the Google Play Store or in the, the iTunes Store, we've got, you know, notifications, you've got updates, you've got updates, you've got updates. But, you know, why wait? As soon as you have them done and we're sure they're stable, let's get them out there. Of course, this is why uh, the first thing I do when I get a phone is to turn off that automatic download <laughs> or else it'll blow my data plan out of the water. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but it really does speak to the agility for people to upgrade their products. Absolutely. And I think we really need to be flexible and we need to be nimble. Um, we need to realize that, you know, we don't know everything. And the rapid change of technology is going to keep that in, in play. doesn't mean we shouldn't be playing in that space. You just need to keep an open mind to it and set ourselves up for success. Excellent. Brenda, thank you. Do you have any closing thoughts or advice for mobile managers? My first recommendation to you is this. Don't be afraid of it. Don't think apps. And don't be afraid for you know calling out for some help for some folks. Your teams may not quite yet be tooled. That said, if you're working with vendors, highly recommend that you, you really sit down with them and say, you know, if you want to get your development teams into the mobile space, how will you as an expert help groom me? And even if you're not normally working with vendors, in this case, it may not be a bad idea. Um, we've got a lot of lessons learned that have, we've learned over time and we can share with you. Excellent. Thank you again for coming on to The Learning Circle. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And thanks for having me. It was a blast. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.